Thank you for joining me again today. And on this edition of the podcast, I'm going to be talking about revisions, about ISA 37. I'm going to be talking uh, about how they are examined both at FR and SPR. And we just might even talk about pregnancy. But before that, I have got somebody with me today to help me discuss provisions. And it's an old friend of mine, Sarah. And Sarah, would you would you like to introduce yourself? Hello. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be here. So, yes, we have we go back a long way, don't we? I remember first meeting you in January 2005. When uh, we both worked together at FME, what is now Kaplan. FTC, um, FTC too many acronyms. Oh, my goodness. FTC, yeah. and then we became Kaplan, didn't we? Yeah. And now we're FME. Now we're pardon. FME, yeah. three times, three times. Absolutely. Um, so, yes, I am, well, for many years I've taught ACCA financial reporting. Um, in recent years, I now teach SBR as well. Um, in the last year, I've set up my own um, my own course for FR, financial reporting, and I sell that through FME Learn Online. So I'm a colleague of yours, Tom. And I'm very grateful you're here on the uh, on the podcast and we're talking about provisions. And we must have talked about provisions to students on many, many occasions. How does that conversation sometimes start with you, Sarah? Oh, it's a very juicy standard provision. I always get lots of questions um, on provisions. In fact, just the other day, somebody WhatsApped me, one of my, my FME students, they WhatsApped me. And there's always a little bit of confusion around, you know, when we should make a provision. Why do we in certain situations, but not in others? Um, and I think also the language around provisions can be a little bit confusing. It's an odd um, word, isn't it? It's an odd word, isn't it? Provision, because we've done provision for depreciation and now suddenly we're talking about I say 37 and provisions it means a very different thing doesn't it it really does yeah and that that word to provide for or provision very general word and yeah like you say it comes up in depreciation even bad debts you know provisions for bad debts but I think we have to be quite clear that what IAS 37 is talking about is a liability a provision is a liability in fact it's defined as a liability of uncertain timing or amount. Um, and there's lots of examples of provisions. There are. So, you know, if you're being sued, if a company's being sued for damages, that um, it may well be making a provision for the amount of money that it thinks it's going to have to pay out. Mm. But in order for there to be a provision, Sarah, as you well know, there's a number of conditions that have to be met. Do you want to? Uh... There are indeed. Yeah. So IAS 37 sets out very clearly that three conditions, all three of these conditions must be met in order to recognize a provision. And the first one is there has to be a present obligation. I love the word obligation, by the way. It's just so exact. You know. <laughs> You can't get out of it. You know, you are obliged. There's no alternative. Now, the interesting thing, this obligation can either be a legal obligation. You're legally bound to do something, but it doesn't have to be. It could be a constructive obligation, which I think we'll pick up about in a little bit in a minute. And so a present obligation as a result of a past event, the obligating event, is the first criteria. Second criteria, it has to be probable. Payment has to be considered probable. Obviously, a judgment call here. And then thirdly, the amount can be estimated reliably. So I like that. I like that third amount. I think I think the third criteria is normally an uncontroversial one. 
the amount can be estimated reliably. We may have to discount it, but unless you've got a number, mm. you can't debit and credit. And and uh, so that that third one is 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 the least controversial, I think. Um, you talked about a constructive obligation and how that is perhaps slightly judgmental. Um, could you just elaborate on that a little bit, Sarah? Yeah. So what is a constructive obligation? Well, I think there's a clue there in the word constructive. What we're saying here is that the company has, by its own actions, behavior, communication, constructed themselves an obligation. So it's a bit like making a very serious promise. You know, legally, you don't have to go through with it. But if you don't go through with it, you know, there's a loss of face, loss of credibility. So, so it's a bit like a, a marriage proposal then, Sarah? It is indeed. Absolutely. <laughs> No one's forcing you, but it's a bit embarrassing to pull out. Okay. Um, so we've talked about a constructive obligation. Now, in the context of a, a reorganization, I think that's the that's the easiest one to explain, or that's a classic example to explain. If you've got a board of directors who are deciding to reorganize, and as a result of that, will incur certain costs. There is an issue about whether or not they can provide for those costs. There is an issue around what it takes to make that constructive obligation. Yeah, well, I think it goes back to the criteria. The first one, there has to be a present obligation from a past event. And we often call this past event the obligating event. The directors have to have done something, said something where they've got no choice. They have to incur these restructuring costs. So, for example, they could have made a public announcement. You know, that creates what we call, the standard refers to, as a valid expectation that the company is going to go through with this and incur those costs. So, and you know, that, a detailed public announcement is probably what's going to happen. And that public announcement could be to do with negotiating with trade unions. Mm -hmm. That public announcement could be a formal statement on the stock exchange, mm -hmm. but it's gone big, it's gone loud, it's gone detailed, it's gone credible so that everybody now has the expectation mm -hmm. that it's going to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. A decision you know, taken by the board members that hasn't been publicly announced is not good enough because, frankly, they can change their mind. So that's key. Yeah. And that 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 that's interesting now the the middle criteria was probability yeah um the exact words i think that the payment is probable and that itself is a is a is a judgment call because if something is possible it's not probable and i think it, the hinge there is 50% isn't it more likely than not mm, absolutely I mean, students always want to know, well, what is it? And yeah, we could work with percentages and clearly anything that is more likely than 50% to happen is considered probable. But I think certainly in the SBR exam, you know, we need to look at the principles, the words, and if something is likely to happen, then we make a provision. If it's not, if it's considered less likely than 50%, for example, then we wouldn't do a double entry. You know, we wouldn't be going credit provision, debit expense. What we do, the only thing we do is simply have a disclosure note called a contingent liability. Yeah, no, I don't want to get, we don't want to get too detailed, but there's always the lack of symmetry here with contingent assets, isn't it? Because Indeed. there's a lack of symmetry around 
recognizing contingent assets. But I think we should I think we should move on and recognize there's a little trick that I've seen in FR and there's a little trick that I'm aware of can confuse students at SBR, which is about the measurement. And this probability issue is a recognition criteria. If you meet the threshold of probability, that is that is different from the recognition criteria, uh, different from the measurement criteria. Now, mm -hmm. I've talked a bit theoretical there. I need an I need a number. I need an example. So if we think we've got an, an obligation to pay out a hundred thousand, but it's mm -hmm. only sixty percent probable. I'm going to suggest under ISA 37 that the amount that you would recognize would be 100,000. Yeah, which might sound a bit counterintuitive. I mean, some students might say, don't I take 60% of 100,000? Absolutely not. The thing with this standard, IAS 37, is it takes an all or nothing approach. You either make a provision because you consider it likely to happen, the payment likely, or you don't. And you just, in terms of the amount, the measurement, it's just the most likely amount. And to that extent, it's a bit like being pregnant, I guess. There you go. There you go. You did say we we're going to talk about pregnancy. It's not true, that, isn't it? Not that I'm pregnant. <laughs> not that I'm pregnant. Okay, that's um, that. That's great. Now, there's a there's a real. If we wanted to talk about more things to do with provisions and more things to do with with SBR, we could get into complicated issues like when the parent is buying the sub mm -hmm. and having to make a measurement and, and that's different. You've got, you've got a different accounting standard. But um, let me ask you just as a kind of final question, Sarah, mm. how is this standard examined at FR? So at FR, it could come across, you know, it could come up in any part of the exam, frankly, section A and B are objective test questions or section C. And in section C, if it's going to come up, it's probably going to be part of preparing the financial statements of a single entity. So, you know, you need to know what a provision is. You need to know when you recognize it. You need to know how you would measure it. So it can come up um, across the whole exam and a really important standard that gets developed further, doesn't it? We both know this at SBR. Um, how would you say it comes up in SBR? Well, it comes up mainly in a written form. I mean, what I find myself doing in SBR, to be honest, is, is reteaching the basic principles from scratch. Because I think if you do know the basic principles, you can often adapt into the more complicated scenarios and you can understand how it interacts with deferred tax and with cash flow and even with PPE on decommissioning. Mm. So in SBR, it's written. In SBR, you are discussing and explaining why a provision is going to be made or going to be disclosed, how that might impact the accounts from a stakeholder's point of view. And as I said, it might interact with the deferred tax implications of it or the cash flow implications of it. But to be honest, Sarah, today we nice keeping a nice short little 10 minute introduction to provision. So I think I'm not going to get involved in those deeper areas. And I thank you for coming along. Thank you very much, Tom. It's been a pleasure. 
All right. Thank you very much, Sarah. And if you're interested in wanting to pass FR, the ACCA exam paper, or SBR, the ACCA exam paper, Sarah and I are more than happy to help you. Please, through the usual social media channels, reach out and we will be there. But thank you for listening.